Another box to box Tabisa episode. The international break is done and dusted. Alex and Abdullah are back from their holidays, and Jesse is doing better, I think, after that Conti Cup final. Um, I, don't know, I think it went all downhill from there, to be honest. Conti <laughs> Cup final might have been my peak. I was, that was peak bad luck. Um, <laughs> but we're back for another Tabisa episode before the fun begins next week for Women's Champions League content. Um, it feels like it's been like a year since we've done that. But I'm your host, as usual, Alex Ibaseta, and I'm with Abdullah Abdullah and Jesse Parker Humphreys. How are you two? Uh, I think I mean, from two Chelsea fans, uh, I don't I don't think either of us are having a great day, are we, Abdullah? <laughs> Not at all. I think that's the, uh, like you said, the Conti Cup was the highlight of the last 10 days. You know, this is just, everything's just going downhill. <laughs> Nothing's working out. Things are just not working. Just, just no. I don't even know. I don't even know where you go from here. Like, there's nothing to say. And so, yeah, I know there's, there's nothing actually to say. I, I guess that's fair. I mean, I'm doing quite great. Thank you. Um. <laughs> Alex has been in Chile. It was hot. Her club's doing well. Life is good. I was about to say not not the club I play for, but yes, Arsenal is doing quite good. <laughs> Um, but a few headlines to cover over the last couple of weeks since our last episode, obviously before the international break. Um, Arsenal seem to be getting back to, into the rhythm after scoring eight goals in their last two matches against Reading and Birmingham. Um, I mean, I couldn't we couldn't say that last time against Birmingham, so that's obviously a plus. Um, sorry to mention again, but Chelsea did lose the Conti Cup final three one to Manchester City. Um, and we're recording this a few hours before Chelsea versus West Ham kicks off in the WSL tonight. Um, ahead of the weekend so we'll see how that goes that should obviously be an interesting match overall and <clears throat> again Man City beat Chelsea 3-1 in the Conti Cup final and before that Man City also beat Manchester United 4-1 in the FA Cup so let's get some some quick analysis and thoughts Jesse do you want to go first yeah it, Conti Cup final it was it felt for me a very frustrating game because I feel like I've like spoken to people and listened to people who seem to be like oh Man City came out really well and like played amazing in the second half but I didn't really feel like they did I didn't really feel like they had to had to work that hard um you know I think Chelsea started really brightly and I think City did well to kind of ride that wave that over the first kind of 20 minutes and and not concede um because you know we have seen Chelsea blow teams away in, in the past by doing that um but as the kind of game went on obviously it just felt like Chelsea didn't have the ability to control the ball in midfield um you know Gigi Soyan and Sophie Ingle, they're not necessarily the most energetic midfield pairing, but given Chelsea's absentees, there wasn't really many other options to play there. So I think just as time went on, City were able to kind of find more and more space both in the midfield where obviously their formation gives them a natural overload anyway. Uh, and then, you know, you started to see Hemp, Stanway in particular, really stretch the sides of Chelsea. But, you know, also like the the second goal, you know, and Katrenberger, there's no way she shouldn't be just taking control of that ball there. And Caroline Weir's goal, it's a great finish. But again, like, you know exactly what Caroline Weir is going to do, like, don't just let her. I think it was the the guys on Stadio, Musa and Ryan, described her as like sauntering into the box, and it was literally like that. She just sauntered like past Lauren James, like she may as well have like waved at her and blown her a kiss. Um, so, who I think that's frustrating because it's just frustrating when you go to a final and you don't give a good account of yourself. And what's annoying is feels like the same issues are happening for Chelsea again and again in these kind of matches where there is just an inability to take back control of the game when things stop going their way. Yeah, I was I was sat next to Jesse obviously for this match and <laughs> then we I was I was supporting I wouldn't call it supporting, but I was inclined <laughs> towards Chelsea winning. Um, you wanted just, to see me in a good mood. <laughs> yes, that was also that was also it. Um, but I just didn't want to see Man City win, really. Um, but then Caroline Weir scored that half volley inside the box into to the top corner. And I just kind of sat there. I looked over and I was like, I don't know whether to celebrate that really good goal or whether I just want to sit here and, and kind of just let Jesse have their moment. Or I don't we know. We did at least it get was a very... all the goals at our end. So, you know. We did, actually. 
but then we also had Ellen White scoring our, at like our end, mm. which was great. Um, we were sat next uh, behind this German couple um, <laughs> who kept Googling. <laughs> you can tell they were there just for the experience, um, but they kept Googling um, all the players' cute. names and stuff. It was, it was kind of cute. Um, but Abdullah, let's let's have your thoughts. Um, hopefully a bit more positive. Um, who knows? <laughs> Didn't you have an amazing good luck charm sitting there as well? Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Depends on whose perspective you're talking Alice's from. Alice's curse continues. Alice is cursed. And you know what? I went to the first half of Alice and Alex's game the very next day, and it was nil-nil while I was there. And yeah. then when I left for the second half, because I had to go and record our other podcast, London is Blue, <laughs> um, they, they went 5-0. So I'm Alice's lucky good luck charm. Yeah, but Alice did say that whenever we get Caesar... And that's not fair. <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't make sense. It's not fair. Oh well. Um well more on the game. I think I think I think to me it felt like the first 20, 30 minutes was more about Chelsea's kind of natural dominance against Man City over the last couple of games, last couple of se- you know uh, seasons, I think that almost took over into City. I think City almost felt inferior to to Chelsea for the first 20, 30 minutes. It was just almost like a natural course of just like, all right, Chelsea are just going to dominate and do well against Man City. And I felt like that narrative kind of started off the game. And I felt like eventually when City kind of realized, hold on a second, we're playing in a final, we can actually do something here. They started to get into gear, and I think, you know, weirdly enough, I think Gareth Taylor actually used his used his brain and used his team and and, and used some tactics and actually realized, okay, there is something I can do here, and I can take advantage of of the fact that there are certain players not playing. You know, you you look at I think Aaron Cuthbert not playing, I think was a massive miss just because of the way she's played in central midfield the last few weeks. I think she's been probably one of their most important players in central midfield. You know, Jesse touched on it. Engel and G aren't the most mobile, so and I think he saw that and realized, all right, I've got to take advantage of that, of that midfield. And I think being at a three V two disadvantage is, is bad enough anyway, but when you're in a three V two disadvantage against two players out of the three of Man City who are more mobile than the two players in Chelsea's midfield, at least the central midfield, you're asking for trouble. And, and, and when Charles and Wrighton are very much wide players, whereas you can look at, someone like Lucy Bronze who will come inside and almost act as a false midfielder, right? So you almost then sometimes have a 4v2 overload at times, right? So I, I felt like I felt like the first half, maybe the first half an hour, 35 minutes, Chelsea were in it, they were dominating. And I think once City realized and they capitalized on the midfield a bit more, they just went into it and almost it almost felt like right, unless Chelsea threw the kitchen sink at them and 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 you know City were you know, we're, we're, they were under pressure a lot. It would just look like, you know, City actually might just, uh, you know, go through with this. Yeah, I think that's a fair analysis overall. I do have to say that Neve Charles was immensely impressive. Um, yeah. On and off the ball, she was, she, she ran down the wing on the attack. She defended, she bodied off a lot of players that just literally Charles. Just <laughs> and... <laughs> And yeah, she was she was quite impressive. Kind of a shock. I mean, she we know she's good, but like it was like she stood out and she's not really a player that stands out most of the time, sort of say. Um, so that was quite impressive. But Jesse, um, tactic wise, you mentioned there about the midfield and kind of what wasn't working, but do you want to get more into detail in terms of tactically what went wrong for Chelsea or what went right for Man City, for example? Yeah, I mean, I think for Chelsea as good as Neve Charles was um, you know it obviously is a bit of a downgrade still on Frank Kirby and whilst in the first half I thought Charles you know offered the kind of physicality which which Kirby doesn't it felt like the the flip side of that was that Chelsea didn't really have the same kind of attacking threat that they they'd normally get with Hardiker and Kirby um, you know there are a couple of times where it felt like you could see Sam almost trying to drift to the left and expecting, you know, those runs to come in from the right, someone else to come into the box where Fran would normally be. Um, and there just wasn't really anyone there, which is kind of understandable because Neve Charles, you know, I feel like Neve Charles plays every single position on the on the pitch. So she's never going to make those same kind of runs that Fran's going to make. I felt like this isn't a tactics thing, but I just thought Harder had like a real off day. There were like a number of moments where you know, I was like, take the shot, like you're in a great position and she'd take one touch too many or her touch would be too heavy and the kind of opportunity would go away. So 
I don't know if that's a tactics thing, but again, there has obviously been a lot of chopping and changing at Chelsea with, you know, from playing kind of a Sam Kerr with, with Harder and Kirby is like more like tens before going back into this 4-4-2 where Harder's now in a two with Sam Kerr. Harder was playing up front on her own for a bit while Kerr was away. So, you know, I don't know if, if that kind of thing is then obviously like uh, players sometimes have off days, but those kind of changes can unsettle players too. And then, yeah, just like in that midfield, again, it's, it is a tactics thing, but I, you know, there's nothing else Hayes could have really done. Like maybe you could play Drew Spence in there, but like, I don't really think that would have been a good, good idea either. And like G was balling out in the first half. So, you know, it, again, it just like, it, it just felt like one of those days where it didn't really click. I think the concern is, is that there was no... There was no, you know, it felt like the three goals happened very quickly, right? But they actually happened over like a 20 minute period and felt like there was no adjustment from the from the formation from Hayes after kind of that first or second goal even goes in to maybe make those changes to tighten up the midfield, whether that is, you know, getting Neve Charles to like take a step back and looking to play more on the counter or bringing Beth England on earlier because you just want to be able to lump the ball long and have someone to hold it up. Like, I think that was the frustration for me was the lack of reaction to what was going on uh, on the pitch. And, you know, like in the past when Chelsea have had these kind of capitulations, I'd say this is like the third capitulation Chelsea have had in under a year. There's obviously Champions League final, the Wolfsburg game, and, and, and now this. Wolfsburg and Barca, those things happened in like very quick bursts in the first half. So I understand why it's hard for Hayes to like necessarily want to make that change because things happen very quick and it's very early on the game. But this wasn't the case here. And I think that's what kind of irked me looking back on it. Like coming in at halftime, you didn't really expect how the second half went it was just it was really unpredictable and you can't really explain what happened but Abdullah you mentioned earlier that Garrett Taylor might have actually used his brain for once um do you want to go more into detail about kind of how he used it to get this game over the line this would be absolutely fantastic he actually does listen to this podcast um um, no, so I think, <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. Um, no, I think, I think, uh, Joe, cause I think, I think the whole three V two looking at the, looking at the, the players at his disposal, I think was definitely something that, uh, I think he looked at because I, I don't, I don't think that it's by chance that they were able to dominate midfield without, you know, without actually being able to, to focus on going in century because, you know, we've seen it in the past was with Chelsea, Man City games. Yes. I, I know they've been maybe more um, mobile pairings for Chelsea there, but I think, and Chelsea have always dominated that midfield, even playing a 4-4-2 diamond or a 4-4-2 of sorts, even in the 3-4-3, you're still playing with a double pivot. Um, and Chelsea have beaten Man City, you know, in, in the recent in the recent past. So I definitely think that it was a deliberate move to kind of focus on the fact that he played Walsh, Weir, and um, Stanway in that midfield. Which I, mean, I think Stanway, anyways, are very very good off the ball runners. She does a lot of running, a lot of pressing. Um, Weir is is is, is a decent, as a good box to box midfielder in terms of just you know just going from box to box and applying pressure, obviously better on the ball. Um, and Kira Walsh is very good at controlling uh, things in midfield. But I think what actually helped was. Lucy Bronze playing again as this almost like this interior defensive midfielder where she did it for Leon back a couple of years ago and she's been doing it for City the last couple of seasons where she starts off on the right hand side but then as the ball goes into midfield she kind of shifts into more of a defensive midfield area so essentially you have two people patrolling the back four and then you've obviously got the two more in front of them so essentially you're creating like a box uh, and Chelsea are almost like boxed out with the two midfielders not Chelsea's two midfielders not able to get near the ball and especially in the second half which I think that also allowed Bronze and Hemp and everybody else to kind of be able to get into spaces out wide because then when well when Chelsea were progressing to the middle yes Bronze can come in when they win the turnover they can get it forward Bronze can go outside and you've got Lauren Hemp and the other wingers to kind of all play in these pockets of space. Suddenly Chelsea have to track back. Um, you've got the two midfielders who are not naturally, you know, mobile. They have to now start tracking back. The same thing. I think City played a little bit quicker in the final third as well. I think that helped uh, go past, uh, you know, go past the players and defenders and, you know, a couple of crosses and, you know, City City score. So I think I think it was a good game plan uh, considering the personnel there. Um, I mean, if he, if he did this a little bit more... Um, 
a little bit more regularly, then I think we'd see some better results and and, and City might actually just be higher up the table. It was a one-off that he used his brain. It's not going to happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not saying he's going to do it again, <laughs> but it's just the fact that he actually did it this one time. If if Chelsea losing the Conti Cup is the sacrifice we have to make to keep Gareth Taylor in the job for another year, I will I will take that because I don't see City challenging for a title with him in charge. Like whether no. it's against Chelsea or Arsenal, yeah. I just think both teams are like significantly superior tactically. So, especially especially a Conti Cup, like I think we can let City have that without a problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. just let them have that. It's a fake trophy anyway. <laughs> and and, and it, I love how it took it took a couple of injuries to Chelsea for him to be able to then do this and come up with a, with a game plan. It's like it's not like the last couple of weeks where Chelsea's starting, you know say midfield was playing and then he's done that against them, then fair enough. But he's done it against, you know, a couple of players that haven't been playing recently or just kind of come in as rotation. So I think that also plays a little bit part in the fact that, all right, you did do something good, but you did it against Chelsea's second choice of rotational players rather than the, the players who've been playing for, you know, in the first team for the last couple of weeks. Yeah, that's fair. And kind of lastly, to to move on from Chelsea and on to Arsenal, <clears throat> obviously for the better of this podcast, um, <laughs> Jesse, you know, it, it. I mean, overall, it is an interesting result considering how the season has panned out so far. You know, Man City are not doing great, um, which is lovely to say. And, and Chelsea are still, you know, competing for the title. If not, they have the advantage right now. But how reflective do you think this is? This result is in terms of how the rest of the season will go, and also your thoughts on Manly Loipols. Bless her. Oh yes. Congrats <laughs> uh, to Yes, uh, but mostly how Chelsea are going to manage without having her because we have talked about how important she has been for that yes. midfield. Yeah, um, I'm certainly glad that when I got COVID, I didn't end up pregnant because that seems like a really unwanted side effect. <laughs> Although it would have been the Immaculate Conception, so I'd be a superstar. Um, uh, Chelsea, the rest of the season, I think it's a complicated one. I think um, you often see this with Emma Hayes's sides, I think is that they tend to go in cycles and Chelsea have had two very dominant seasons and this season is not going to end up being dominant. Um, there's obviously loads of shit going on out off the football pitch at the club. And, you know, we've not spoken about that today, but uh, it's hard not to think that that doesn't affect the players at all. That would be crazy. Um, so I think generally the worry for Chelsea is that um, there's no, not really an aura of invincibility about them anymore. You know, lots of teams have now put three, four goals past them. So lots of teams will feel like they, you know, the cities, the Arsenal's, even United would feel like they could do that on a good day um, or a bad day for Chelsea. And, you know, the, the, there's the injury stuff. That's not been great yet. Obviously losing Leupoltz for, you know, who knows how long really, uh, depending on how she comes back from her pregnancy. Um, plus there's also a COVID outbreak at the moment. Um, Magda's got it. So you think maybe Penila might get it at some point. That feels like quite hard to avoid. Um, mysterious Frank Herbie illness. Um, I just don't think there's a great vibe around the club at the moment. And I kind of have written off. Like, I think if we win something, I'll be really pleased with how the rest of the season plays out because right now it feels like quite unlikely. Uh, obviously, we've got a fairly nice um, FA Cup quarterfinal draw, but, you know, I just think when there's this much uncertainty around the team that it, it's very hard to be convinced that, say, we're going to win all the rest of our games to win the WSL or be able to, like, march to an FA Cup final. So... Um, I think it's just one of those ones, you know, we've, we've had a great two years this year. Hasn't, hasn't been so good, but it's also had amazing moments obviously as well. And, you know, we've seen, I think sparks of how good the team can be and, and also lots of where the team's problems are. And, and maybe, you know, I, I would say this would be the summer for, for a little bit of a rebuild, but that's also a big, big question mark now, you know, the, there are lots of players who are out of contract and now they might just have to go. Um, there are lots of players we'd like to sign and we just might not be able to sign them. So a bit of a bum one. Terminal illness. <laughs> we kind of do. <laughs> End of the road. Um, Abdel, do you have similar thoughts on that? 
Yeah, I won't add too much that I, I kind of uh, echo Jesse's sentiments. And I think it's, it's it's a tough one with the uncertainty ahead and, and who we can get, who we can't get, you know, um, you know, things are all uncertain. You start kind of transfer business kind of scouting now in terms of who you want to get and with everything going on, it, it's, it's there. And I think, I think the, 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 the point on the invincibility or that this, that this team had, I think it's completely gone um, and kind of referring back to a point Jesse made a little bit earlier the, the, the chopping and changing of the front three this season has been a big factor as last season at least was whether it worked or not different story. It was, it was at least consistent. You knew that those three were going to play every single game, regardless of what happened. Now it's a lot of chopping and changing. <clears throat> it's, it's weirdly a lot of chopping and changing without a lot of changes. Like Bethany England is hardly played and she's one of the, she should be one of the first alternatives up there, you know? And then when you, if you're going to lose someone like her, considering everything that's, that's, that's happening, it becomes a problem. And then there's, you know, the uncertainties. I think it's just a weird time. And, you know, I, I think this season, while there is something to play for, the league is still there and the FA, you know, and the FA Cup, but it almost feels like you want to write it off, finish the season and just go into the summer and just take a reset. Yeah, I think that's fair. And it should be interesting. Um, it is a bit of a bummer of what's happening around the club and kind of how much that's going to impact a Chelsea that hasn't been at the top of the game already. Um, so it should be quite interesting. But moving on to a team who is kind of having that good feeling back around the squad is Arsenal. Um, a tough run of draws for for Arsenal before the international break against Chelsea, Man United. But since coming back, they've beat Liverpool four 0 Reading four 0 and Birmingham four two. The four two win, I admit, I was a bit shaky, but um, got across the line, four goals. That's that's good. And it, it seems like Arsenal have finally gotten that team spirit back that they had at the beginning of the season, kind of where. Everyone's, you know, just having fun. They're, they seem really good together. Um, the new signings have come in and, and kind of molded into, into the Arsenal team quite well so far. But Jesse, a, a busy run of matches for Arsenal this month in particular. Uh, a North London derby sandwiched in between away and home games against Wolfsburg. Arsenal look good at the moment. Um, but what do you think we're going to be saying at the end of the month? Um, yeah, it's going to be a really interesting one. I'm really looking forward to uh, the Wolfsburg games, although with the caveat that I think actually I'm going to miss both of them. Um, but I will look forward to watching them not live. Um, just because I think they're very similar teams. Um, they've both got really talented players. When everyone's fully fit, they're like really stacked. Um, they're both very good going forward, but like have big wobbles defensively. Uh, so I hope we could have something like really entertaining and high scoring. I think, I feel like Arsenal are in a good, like, WSL groove. I wonder if, you know, as much as Hayes, like, saying, like, I think her her quote from press conference yesterday was like, you know, like, look, we've been in second the entire season. We've only got things to gain. We've got nothing to lose. But I think the fact that Arsenal know that the WSL isn't in their hands has kind of taken some of the pressure off, at least, um, because it, it doesn't, you know, they've just got to do what they do and, and kind of hope Chelsea fuck up. And really at the moment, you'd, you'd have to feel quite confident that Chelsea might fuck up at some point. Um, so I think you can, you've kind of seen that in some of the performances. I just think, you know, Arsenal's worry will be keeping everyone fit, especially Rafaela. I listened to Tim Stillman's pronunciation tips on the Arscast uh, and Leah Williamson because... I think without them, you know, it's a very, very different Arsenal and an Arsenal that still conceded two to Birmingham, like with with those two in the team. So, you know, we know that they're not impenetrable even with those two playing, but I think they obviously make a massive, massive difference uh, to this side. So I think if, honestly, the Wolfsburg game, I can't predict. Like, I, I genuinely don't know. I want Wolfsburg to win. Do I want Wolfsburg to win? I would just like it to be a good, fun fun game. Um, I think I would like Wolfsburg to win because it would make me feel better about Chelsea losing, not like because I want Arsenal to do badly because I don't really feel like that about them. Um, but I think in, in the WSL, I think they look they look really smooth at the moment. So On Monday when I was at Colney, there was an off-camera conversation with Katie McCabe and she said exactly that, that she feels much better with having Chelsea chase them rather than the other way around. Um, it is true that it's, you know, they're, they're picking up the points that they need to be picking up. And now it's just a matter of, of Chelsea picking up their points. Um, and there's nothing else that they can do about it except to focus on their own game. Um, so it is, it is definitely a kind of 
a big confidence point for the players, I think, right now to just kind of get on with what they're doing without having to pay attention to anybody else, um, which could be good. And I want to say that Arsenal need to win just for the selfishness of getting Alexia Poteas back at the Emirates. Um, that's just for myself. <laughs> um, but Abdul, obviously, Jesse touched odd upon it there. Um, I'm just going to say Rafaele in Spanish because I don't want to do the Rafaele. Um, I don't think I can do it properly anyway. But obviously we haven't really, we've seen a few games, you know, she started with Liga against Chelsea. That was a big one. Um, but tell us what you think of this new Rafa slash Liga partnership in the defense. Yeah, no, I, I actually quite like it. I was having, obviously I was having this conversation with you a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I had a conversation with Tim as well. And, and I, I feel like Rafael is, is kind of come in and she's, I think to me, she's this combination of kind of all the center backs that Arsenal have. And, and I was, and I, and I did a piece of this the other day. Arsenal have probably like five or six different options. Like Steph Catley's played there, Jen Beatty's played there, uh, uh, Wooden Moyes played there, Leah Williamson obviously, Rafael is there, um, and and it's just it's just like never ending. Uh, uh, Leah and they've loaned out two. They've loaned <laughs> out two more. As yeah, well. and Anna Patton and, and uh, Anna Patton's on loan. Yeah, exactly. And then you've got Leah Volti who's played there as at centre back. So I mean, there's like seven or eight options there, yet they still had to go and buy another centre back in January, which to me meant all right. Jonas wasn't happy with his options that he had currently. And if you've got that many, then it's a damning, you know, conclusion on the fact that the rest of your center backs aren't good enough for your style of play. So the fact that she's come in and she's made an impact already, I think is really, really good. I think being obviously she is 30 years old, so she's got the experience on her side. I think it's a good, I think it'll take some time to really bet in, but the early signs are good. She's kind of, she's got the pace that Leia has, if not more, so that when I also want to play this high line, both centre-backs can cover for each other in behind. Whereas if you look at someone like Wubin Moy, he's got the pace, but probably has not as good positioning as Leah. You look at someone like Jen Beatty, maybe decent at positioning, but doesn't have the pace to play the high line, right? And so every centre-back has their pros and cons, whereas I'm not saying Rafael is, yes, is, is got pros in all of these things, but she's, she's I think above average in all of this. She's got the pace to come back. She's got the positioning. She's got the aggressiveness. She's got the passing range. And I think she's got, she's really good under pressure, really good composure. Um, And so on paper, it looks like the perfect duo. I think we're going to have to see this as time goes on. And obviously the, the Chelsea game was a, was a prime example. And while Rafa was on the pitch, it was, it was difficult for Chelsea to break them down and, and there, there were some tough moments. So I think we're going to need to see how the season plays out. Um, But I really think the, this duo will really come to light and really thrive next season once they've played for this six months together, get into a preseason together, and then they go into the next season. But you know, it's a big, it's a good pickup from a league that really no one's really looking at to go and go and buy players. So a smart pickup from from Arsenal. Yeah, that is true. It was kind of a random league to pick a player from, especially for the WSL. Uh, well, not for the WSL necessarily, but just for a team like Arsenal, for example. Um, it's not really common. There's not really many South American players in the WSL, just off the top of my head. I, th- I think I can only think of uh, Ivana Fuso and Rafaele. I can't really think of all like the smaller teams. Um, but essentially, it's just it's a unique market, I think. And I think it's actually quite underrated, um, especially now that it's growing more and more. But Jesse, we can't talk about Arsenal and can't not talk about about um, Vivian Mira and Stina Blackstenius. Viv Stenius has been the coin term, which I, I'm not sure how I feel about it yet. Um, but obviously they started against Reading, started against Birmingham City, and it seemed to work considering that they both got on the scoreboard at one point. Um, how do you, how important do you think this could be for Arsenal this season? Yeah, I think it, it looks good, right? I think Viv looks happy and Viv looks like she's enjoying herself and I feel like Viv enjoying herself is Arsenal's kind of number one priority I feel like if she said I really actually see myself as a goalkeeper Jonas would just put her in goal to try and keep hold of her um but you know I think you know Blackstonis is is obviously a fantastic number nine we know what she can do Viv's like fantastic at everything and I think what she really adds by being further back is that kind of work rate 
um, in the midfield. Like, I think it's easy to think, oh, like if you put a number nine, like in the 10 position in like quite a high intensity team, like, are they going to do the same like level of stuff that, that you might expect from midfielders? But actually like given Arsenal's like propensity to actually have like midfielders like Mane Iwabuchi who are, who are a bit more creative anyway, maybe don't have um, that level of intensity. I feel like the Viv stuff is really um, suing them because she she does press really well. You know, she's a really she's a player who you can tell always gives her all, and I think that's why often it's so frustrating if you see her get isolated because she will just like carry on running, but there's just going to be no nothing good coming from it if if uh, Arsenal's midfield have been cut off. So you get this like dual level benefit, I think, of adding a bit more grit to the midfield. Um, you get to play back Sinis as well. Viv looks really good in the 10 position and supposedly she likes playing there more. Uh, you get her creativity. She's still going to, you know, shoot, um, as we saw kind of kind of from the weekend. So she's still going to score. And yeah, it, it does look really good. And I, I think it's it's a really neat kind of solution to, to that question. Um, obviously, given Arsenal have so many fit players at the moment, there are those like knock-on effects, um, you know, you don't see your Iwabuchis or your Jordan Nobs uh, in the same kind of way because Viv's then kind of taking up one of those positions. But ultimately, I think Arsenal do look better for it. Um, I think Blackstinius and Viv are both in a lot better form than those other players who might be angling for positions. So, and that's great because then you've got competition and if either of them fall out of form, fine, you, you switch it up, you go again, like you do something different. So yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan. I'm a Viv Stenius fan. A Viv Stenius. Viv Stenius, Viv Stenius. Number one <laughs> fan, Jesse Parker Humphreys. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I definitely agree with the, the work rate thing in the high press. Uh, I'm pretty sure it was against Birmingham. The, one of the goals was um, Viv cut in, Kim Little shifted and, they kind of just pressed off of that. And then the goal came out of that, just I think out of three touches. So it's definitely kind of a big play to have. And I'm not calling the other midfields dumb. I'm just saying Viv is so smart that when you're pressing like that and you have a player that pays attention to little details, it comes off as a big advantage uh, when you're doing these, these little pressing games, when you get the ball back, Viv's going to make the run. And what I think it was before was that, none of the midfield was making the runs of support for Viv once she held the ball up as a nine. Um, so she would kind of hold the ball up. And I don't think anyone was was kind of making those runs that she would be doing now when Blaxinas gets the ball, for example. But Abdullah, Arsenal play Brighton at the weekend. Uh, what do you think is going to go down? I mean, Brighton are a good run of form. I mean, they beat Reading a couple of weeks ago. Uh, um, you know, sorry, not even a couple of weeks ago, uh, in February, the last game before the international break, 4-1, and then they came back and they beat Villa on on, on the 5th, Saturday, uh, 1-0 away from home. So last two games, they've scored five and they've conceded one. So obviously that means that they're, they're in good form. But it's just been a really topsy-turvy season. Obviously, they just recently played Arsenal in January, they lost two one. It was a narrow game. It was a narrow loss, though. But but with kind of what we've just talked about, Arsenal are in such good form right now. And that, like we said, there's no pressure on them. It's just about all right. We get the three points. Chelsea have to. We have to. Chelsea have to worry about making up the ground rather than us having to do it. And and Arsenal traditionally been a, a flat track Philly team anyway. So honestly, I don't see anything other than an Arsenal win. Unfortunately, just within, in the mood and and kind of the feel that the Arsenal are in right now especially with, with Viviana Midema's form and, and Blackstenius coming in and really bringing this feel-good factor and Leah Volti being in the form of a life, I think I think is uh, it's going to be too much for Brighton. Unfortunate for Brighton, good for Arsenal. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll move on to the other side of North London. Tottenham uh, currently tied in third place with Manchester United and their next three league matches are against Man City, Chelsea and Arsenal. Uh, so kind of a, a tough month essentially, but I think Ryan Skinner should be feeling confident overall, maybe. Um, Jesse, is this the end of Tottenham's good form or do you think they can get something out of these three matches? Um, I think it will be tough. I think this is this might be where we see Tottenham kind of start to fall away. Um, I know they've had some like very heroic performances uh, against City and Arsenal. They obviously haven't played Chelsea yet this season, um, but in the past we've seen them play decently for about twenty minutes at least. So, you know, we know Rahanskin has got got a good eye on it. Um, I think 
realistically, I would find it really, I mean, maybe against Chelsea, I don't know. Um, but I would find it quite hard to imagine they get anything from, from any of these games just because I just don't think they have, I just don't think they have the ability to, to compete, especially when those games are like coming so back to back. Um, I think obviously their kind of advantage, maybe at other points in that season, is that extra time to prepare when, you know, other teams have had to think about midweek fixtures. Um, but, you know, playing Chelsea and Arsenal within three days of each other is going to be kind of kind of crazy, uh, especially like at the Emirates, where obviously that Arsenal game is. So I, I don't, <laughs> I think this is where we say goodbye to Tottenham, to be honest. But <laughs> I have said this many times before, so maybe I'm wrong. I think if they're going to get points off anyone, it'll be Chelsea, uh, to be honest. But who, who knows? Um, I th- we'll have a better idea, I think, once Chelsea have played... West Ham and, and and Villa kind of where their heads are at, hopefully by the Tottenham game as well. Um, there'll be more players back and things like that. So we'll have to see. Rianne Skinner has proven you wrong before, Jesse. <laughs> she has. And then I saw her at that England game at the Arnold Club. Oh, true. That, that and was I had awkward. to hide my face slash voice in case she recognized I, me. I told Jesse to play the box box <laughs> in pro and see how Rianne Skinner reacts to it. <laughs> I think that would have been great. Um, but Abdullah, we've talked about obviously, you know, Spurs don't really have an amazing attacking presence um, and they can't really, I mean, they, they can score goals. It's just, it's not what you need to be at the top. Um, but we've obviously seen how a good defensive setup can disrupt a top side, for example, Leicester City against Chelsea. Do you think Tottenham are going to be doing this against the likes of City, Arsenal and Chelsea? I mean... You can't exactly rule it out. I mean, City haven't had the best of seasons. Chelsea have been, um, I mean, <clears throat> they've kind of shown that there is that a very odd performance that can come out where the other team can be let in and, and they can concede goals. Um, so I'm not going to say it's a 100% done deal that they won't get anything out of it, but I think it'll be very difficult. I mean, if there was a little bit of preparation time in between, I think it, I think it would be more of a chance. But I think at this point, we have three days you know, between each other. I can see them possibly getting a, a result against, you know, against Chelsea first, just because they they'll have had that break between the City game on the 13th and then the the, the Chelsea game on the 23rd. Even even though I don't think they will, um, and it, you know, and then there's two derbies. So, I mean, the fact that it is a derby, I think, could could be motivation for them. But defensively, obviously, they've they've been they've they've been really really well. I think any team that's competing in the in the middle to lower end of the league, and obviously, it's Spurs have been you know, competing at the top end this time, but these teams are built on a good defense first for them. If they can get a point against these big teams, it's, it's almost as if they're getting three points because usually they wouldn't be, they wouldn't expect to get that many points. And the fact that they have a goal difference of eight, you know, which I think is massive. I mean, they, they've only conceded 11 goals this season and that's only bettered by Chelsea with six and Arsenal with, with 10, you know, um, United have conceded 15, City have conceded 20, Reading 23, Brighton 23. So you're looking at teams here who are in and around them who've conceded way more. So they've, I mean, credit to Molly Bartrip and, and Zordowski who've really been a really good centre-back pairing. So I think they'll make it very, very difficult for for, for Chelsea and, and, and City to, sorry, uh, for Arsenal to play against and even City when they do play them eventually. You know what? Even if they don't get any points, I don't think it's going to be a runaway game. I think it's going to be, I think there'll be a single goal in it. For, for either of these teams, maybe maybe one of them will get like a 2-0 or 2-1, but I don't think anyone's going to blow them away 5-6-0. I think it'll be a tough game. And who knows, if they can get at least a draw, you know, out of a couple of those games out of the three, I think it'll, for them it'll be, all right, you know, we've, we've, we've done a good job and we can get to 30 points out of, um, you know, 18 games. And let's give Rand Skinner the benefit of the doubt, Jesse. Uh, where do you think Tottenham can get some joy against Man City? Um, well, I was going to say set pieces because that's kind of been City's kryptonite. And I think you even saw in the Conti Cup that even with this restoration of kind of a, a first first choice defence, that they didn't look super confident for set pieces. And, and that's kind of where they've conceded lots of their chances this season. Um, but I just went and looked at Tottenham's numbers and they like only one team, only Villa have, like made less chances from set pieces than Tottenham. Um, so my advice to Tottenham would be to practice your set pieces because I think that's that's where you're going to get joy from. Um, I do think this is still 
you know, a city defence that can be got at. I don't think Ellie Robux looked particularly convincing at all um, since she came back from her injury. Um, I'm, 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 Alana Kennedy is Alana Kennedy. Uh, Tottenham will know that well. Um, you know, I think, I think she is great in midfield, but I don't love her in a two-man defence. Um, so if she plays, I think that's obviously, obviously a play you can, you can target. Um, and I just think kind of like what Abdullah said, like, and what they did in, in the reverse fixture, I guess, like keeping it tight and then sending Rosella Ryan up to handle the ball into the back of net. <laughs> Abdullah, uh, and looking at Chelsea, where do you think Spurs can get some joy? Oh, I think it really does depend on who Chelsea end up playing that day. I think if it's their first choice, if it's the first choice 11, I think I think Spurs will find it difficult to, to kind of get through. And I think they'll have to play on the counter and play behind behind the wingers and behind the in between the wingers and the central midfielders and, and kind of that area and run at the run at the center backs. But if if it is um, a second choice, and I put quote unquote second choice because obviously Chelsea have some fantastic players, you know, who are first, second, third choice. Um, but if it is that, then I think they need to use the pace that they have up front uh, and in midfield to kind of use that to their advantage. Even then, I mean, any space they find behind John Anderson or whoever's playing at right back, they need to use those spaces and they need to transition and counter effectively. Um, they need to use their and then and then back to what we said, what Jesse was saying, set pieces. Bring up, uh, bring up your centre backs. Bring up your your big players, and and wherever you can get a corner or a, or a free kick, just use it to best of your advantage. But yeah, I think for Chelsea, I think it really does come down to who's playing on the day and whoever, whatever weaknesses those players have, go against that. So if it's pace, you go in with pace. If it's you know if it's positioning, you go against that and and kind of use the the other the, the spaces to your advantage. It's about what Chelsea have available to them at the moment. Um, obviously, we saw in the Conti Cup final that you can have, you know, these top players. You, you can still have G and Sophie Ingo in your midfield. It won't necessarily work um, overall. But moving on to the other third place team in the league at the moment, Manchester United. Um, they had a disappointing loss to Man City in the FA Cup. Um, that was then followed up with a convincing 4-0 win over Leicester City in the WSL. Um, but Jesse, Man United still haven't really gotten that consistency down necessarily but when they play well they seem to do like pretty good um what do you think where they are i i have no idea how i worded this question um where do you think about where they are right now i didn't write this script for us this is alex's own right that was me (laughs) where do i think united are at the moment um I think uh what the position united have got to under skinner is that they can now convincingly beat teams who are not City, Chelsea or Arsenal, um, which I think is a good place for them to get to. And it is not somewhere they were at the start of the season. And I think now they've kind of figured it out. They've got that confidence. Um, you know, they've they've got that kind of reliability. Um, people are in good goal-scoring form. Uh, lots of players like are looking really good. I still don't think they have the kind of whole team ethos that like really allows them to kind of defend from the front as it were I think you know that's what you've kind of seen in in those city games I do think they have a tendency to have a bit of a mental breakdown when things don't go their way Um, but so do lots of teams in this league apparently so you know Brighton Chelsea and United can all go and see a sports psychologist together Um, but United have a really good run of fixtures until that Chelsea game at the end of the season um and i think they'll feel like looking at that that they're in a good place and i think i think they're in a funny position right it's it's almost exactly like it was last season like in some ways you're like if united don't finish in the top three that shouldn't really be seen as a disappointment because they're they're probably not at that level still but given how involved they've been for the majority of the season given city's slip um, if they don't do it, you think it, it, you know, for second year in a row, it will be like a disappointing thing where you've kind of let this go to pot potentially on the last day of the season again. Um, so I think they will be feeling good that they can just go and, and kind of beat the rest of the teams in front of them. It's like Reading, okay, West Ham, maybe an asterisk gone, but Everton, Brighton, Villa, and then West Ham again before they get to Chelsea. And they've kind of got this, what, 
five point advantage, but City have a game in hand and Tottenham are on the same number of points as them. So um, I think they're in a really strong position. And I think, you know, for them, qualifying for the Champions League should be should be the goal. And, you know, if it comes down to that last day of the season, if everything comes down to the last day of the season and the WSL title still in play and the Champions League spots are in play, like you've, I think everyone has to be, okay, maybe if you're an Arsenal City fan, you're not, but like, um, but given I've written off, written off Chelsea season, I don't mind. Um, you've got to be rooting for that game to go ahead like that because that will be like serious fireworks and I think would be a really like amazing way to end what's been a really exciting season. Um, and I think United will feel that they can be in that position, definitely. I think the club as a whole has just naturally that confidence of they need, not need to be, but they deserve to be at the top no matter what. Um, I think players have actually gained that confidence in the WSL considering how well they've done since they've gotten into the WSL period. Um, but Abdullah, do you think Man United can hang on to that WSL, um, not WSL, Women's Champions League spot in the, in the table right now? <laughs> yeah, I think they can hang on to that WSL spot. They're not going to get relegated anytime soon. <laughs> Um, no, uh, no, I think they can. I think, I think, I, I, I agree with. I think what Jesse said. I think United have they they were stumbling at the beginning of the season. Obviously, when Skinner just came in, it, I think it took some time for him to to really stamp his authority on the side and really, you know, for everybody to kind of understand what are you trying to do with this side because it just looked like things were working very, very slowly in, in small increments. And, you know, when one thing worked, the second thing didn't work. And when that worked, something else didn't work. And it just felt like, are you, you sure you know what you're doing? And, you know, I think I myself came on this podcast and I said, I don't see the structure where I don't see what the structure is. I don't see how, how it's working, especially in midfield. Um, but I think now that he's had like six, eight months to, to kind of tinker and toy with this team and get used to it, he's just really showing that, all right, you know what? Skinner's actually been able to get his philosophy down. And, and I think they're doing well. And, and kind of what I said, they're beating teams around them that they should be beating that aren't the top three. And, and that is a good place to be because they've made that ground under Casey Stoney. And when, when she left and the players left, you're like, are they going to be able to get back to that? And the fact that they've been able to get back to that within this next season and that that's also way well before it's, it's finished. I think is a sign of great progression and great coaching. Um, and I think now it's it's like, all right, if they get it, it's a fantastic season and achievement. But if they don't get it, it's like, well, you weren't expected to get it. And kind of what just, you weren't expected to get it, but, you know, um, it's a disappointment. It kind of, it's it's in a weird way, but, but in a weird way, I think United getting a Champions League spot is less surprising to me than if, and I, I feel like they can compete better than if Tottenham were to get that Champions League spot, even though they've also been in a similar situation of being in that top three for, you know, top three, four conversation for, for pretty much most of the season. Um, but yeah, no, I, I like this United side and I like what they're doing. And I think that they can hold on to their players and add a couple of more here and there. I think they could really make a run for it next season and kind of do what Everton was supposed to do. But, you know, they didn't. But they didn't. Um, Man United don't really... They're not, they don't really play like a side that's currently third in the league, you know, just behind Arsenal and Chelsea. I wouldn't say just behind. There's still a point gap there, but they are in third place, essentially. Jesse, what is Man United missing? I think they're probably missing defensive upgrades um, slash their star players are still incredibly young. So I think it's to be expected that they don't always like compete at the biggest moments, you know, players like Alessia Russo, Elatoun, we know they're like phenomenally talented and I think they're both going to have amazing careers. I think they've looked great this season, but you know, they're not on, on that level of like Hemp or Kirby or players like that. Who, who you just feel like if they're on the pitch, they're always going to have that one chance and they're, probably going to take it. Um, maybe not him. She's not, she's not an amazing finisher, but she'll create something at least. So I think there's that, that kind of use factor, which holds them back. And then, yeah, I just think defensively, it's been a bit of a tough run for them, really. Um, they obviously kind of lost Amy Turner, um, who went to America. And then Millie Turner has been like basically out for, for most of the season. Um, unfortunately, uh, I really like Maria Torres Dottir, but she's not like super, like I like her as a person, but I don't think she's a super reliable um, defender. I think she comes from the Alana Kennedy school of seems lovely, but I wouldn't want to like bank my house on her, like 
being able to defend well. Um, and, you know, then they've kind of brought in Diane Caldwell, who's 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 done pretty well, I think, um, you know, and she's got a lot of pedigree and stuff. But again, isn't someone I'd necessarily be pointing to as like a really like elite centre back. And, I, you know, I think that's kind of what they're missing to to help keep their heads together in those really top games. And I think, you know, the reason we don't think of them as a top of the league side is because they still go out and get like pumped, like six goals against Chelsea, four goals against Manchester City. And ultimately, it's hard to take teams, you know, seriously. <laughs> they say not looking at some of Chelsea's results uh, when you when you lose by those margins. I think, especially especially in the league, right? Um, so I think they're getting there, but I just think maybe kind of those defensive reinforcements, you know, equally even Hannah Blundell. Like I think she's had a great season, but you see that mistake against Manchester City, and you're just like, ah, like the in the FA Cup game, like these are the the things that you can't do if you are going to be like the best of the best. Yeah, I definitely agree. It's the mistakes and everything that the defenders aren't doing in the sense of attacking and actually being, you know, having that confidence of a Magda, of a Leo Williamson to take the ball, go forward and initiate the attack. Um, they don't really have that. And in this league, if you don't have, if your defenders are kind of, not shaky, but just don't have the confidence to stand up to these big, you know, big sided players. Um, I mean, I just, I just don't see Man United really getting further than third place. Um, and they're only in third place because Man City's, you know, started off the season terribly. If Man City would have started the season regularly, I don't think they would have been in that position to begin with anyway. Um, but Abdullah, you know, a tough run for Man United um, ahead with Reading, West Ham and Everton. Do you think they can get something out of these um, maybe max points? you think they're going to crumble under pressure knowing that it's going to be big for their Champions League position? I mean, on, on the evidence so far, I think, and I'm kind of what we said, I think they should be able to, uh, honestly, I think they, they've, they've gotten themselves to a point where you think United should be able to get, if anything, seven out of nine points at the minimum, if not nine out of nine points, because the way they're playing, the way they're able to kind of dominate games against teams around them and, and below them has been uh, has been quite impressive, especially with the whole, like we said, the structures have been down. I think, you know, uh, and with the way that they've been playing and, and some of their key players really getting on it. I mean, Ella Toon's having the season of her life for United so far, probably her best season yet. And, you know, Lesia Russo's finally coming through and, and obviously they, 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 they backed it up with, with signings in, in, in the January window, like Signe Brun and, and Dan Caldwell. So I, I think, I think, Everton, obviously, small comeback. They they got they got a couple of wins, um, but I think they're still a bit fragile. So I think United can be Everton. Um, Reading they should be able to beat, and then like we said, West Ham is one of those where one week they could be absolutely fantastic, and then the next week they're just crumbling under pressure. So it depends on which West Ham shows up. But yeah, I mean, I, honestly, I, I expect I expect them to get at least seven points, if not um, if if not full nine, and if they can come through with seven points, um, they should be very very confident going into that you know final few games of the season and saying all right you know we can clinch third place and you know uh, we can go from there. And if they do get Champions League, uh, you know there's a possibility that they can start attracting players of high caliber, and if they can add high quality defenders to kind of go with what they already have and build on that, you know, who knows where they can go from there. And speaking of Champions League, that's it for our WSL episode. Um, But we will come back with a Champions League episode next week because it is now less than two weeks until the quarterfinals kick off. Um, Obviously, Chelsea aren't in it, in case anyone didn't know that already. Um, but next week we'll hopefully have, we haven't really decided yet, if I'm being honest, what we're going to, in terms of content wise, but we will definitely have a Champions League episode coming out before um, the quarterfinals next week. Um, but that's it for this week. Thank you all for listening and see you soon. Bye-bye. See you later. <laughs>